वेलकम टू सिंटॉक and talkers around the table today discuss the how of terror we'll think about the mechanics of terror using concepts from philosophy political science economics and terrorism studies how does terrorism work how does it begin and end how does terrorism differ from organized crime is terrorism an aberration Who's a terrorist client? Is terrorism a form of madness? How do political entrepreneurs organize terror? Is it possible to merely dabble in terrorist activities? How do leadership structures and forms of governance drive outcomes? How do terrorist groups finance their activities? How are incentives designed for suicide attackers? And what's the future of terror and our understanding of terror? We are pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today. Professor Deepak Gupta, who is professor emeritus in the Department of Political Science at San Diego State University, and professor at National University San Diego, and Dr. Ajay Sani, who is executive director of Institute for Conflict Management and South Asia Terrorism Portal. is also the editor of South Asia Intelligence Review. He lives in New Delhi. So Deepak maybe we set the ball rolling with you. Um who is a terrorist maybe we start with that plain question and how is he or she different from a criminal well terrorism and terrorists these are political terms mm-hmm. and uh, if we don't like somebody we call them terrorists and if we do we call them martyrs we call them heroes or uh, freedom fighters In fact, if you look at history, you will see that uh, back in the in the days when people were fighting the British Raj in India, it was a badge of honor, particularly in Bengal, to be called a terrorist. Mm. And uh, one of the first recorded objection to this came from Israeli Prime Minister. uh if you join yes he was not the prime minister then, then yeah. in 1946 47 when he was fighting the british he said i am not a terrorist it's the british the imperialists who are and from then on terrorism has become more of a subject yeah. it's a it's a it's a term of insult Mm-hmm. but it's essentially it's a political term and which term preceded the terrorist i mean if uh, they really there was terrorism before they were terrorists anarchists anarchists mm-hmm. anarchists were considered the most heinous uh, 
of all the all the uh, politically motivated perpetrators of politically motivated violence. Mm. 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 And and so does it necessarily involve the idea of a cause? Indeed, terrorism is a the operative word is politically motivated. Right. If there is no political motivation, it's an act of lunacy mm-hmm. or um, some other kind of uh, motivation could be criminal, mm-hmm. definitely, um, but politically motivated. For example, in Mexico, they were engaging beheading. Mm-hmm. and uh, But those were done by the cartels, the drug cartels, right. to, to uh, get the police terrorized. And that, that had, they had absolutely no social motivation for doing so. And that would be the defining aspect of terrorism, which would distinguish them from common criminals. Yeah. So common criminals for them, it's some, some kind of a business activity almost. It's a business activity and they would rather work under the radar mm. than, than really uh, publicize their, their, their activity. And in one sense, terrorism can be seen as a mixture of violence and theater. Yeah. It's spectacular. So it is. The more spectacular it is, the better it is. And Margaret Thatcher once famously said, media and publicity are the oxygen of terrorism. Mm, mm, mm. But but has it always been this way? I mean, how old is terrorism? Is this a relatively new entrant into our consciousness or uh, you would kind of uh, be able to predate it a lot further? Well, the earliest recorded uh, aspect of terrorism is found in the biblical time. In the biblical time, there was a group called the Zealots. The Zealots. Mm. The Zealots and the Sicarii. Sicarii meant mm. a small dagger. Mm-hmm. And Sicarii were the uh, men with small dagger. And they would go out and plunge their dagger to a an isolated Roman soldier in a marketplace, or, you know, it was during the Roman occupation of Jerusalem, or the compliant high priest of the, of the temple of Jerusalem. And uh, the idea was, and then they would melt into the population. Right. The idea was, it's the same as it would expose the brutality of the Roman occupation and uh, would incite uh, the others to join in their cause, just like ISIS is doing today. Right. It's almost a communication strategy. Absolutely. It is a terrorism is seen as a communication, communication to the world that we exist, Mm -hmm. communication to the to their enemies, that we are coming after you, you are vulnerable, mm-hmm. and to their own community, that we are your protectors and we are serving your cause. 
How much of this would you agree with Ajay? And is 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 a terrorist act always an act of provocation, or or there's something more to it? Well, you know, uh, words change meanings over time. Certainly, and I think. Uh, we have come to a stage where there is far greater clarity over the expression or the uh, idea of terrorism mm-hmm. than was the case in the past mm-hmm. uh, i would uh, of course agree with deepak that in common language terrorism is a pejorative term right but it is also not so difficult to define terrorism it is my opinion that uh, this whole controversy over defining terrorism in the world is really opportunistic it is because most countries don't want <laughs> a non-discriminatory de- definition of terrorism because if you have a non-discriminatory definition of terrorism then you can't have you know the good terrorist and the bad terrorist and yeah uh, my terrorist and your uh, or rather like you your, your terrorist that. and my freedom fighter right you see the the idea of uh, uh, deepak said you know uh, for for one person he could be a terrorist for another person he could be a freedom fighter the essence of terrorism is the intentional targeting of civilians it has many other overlays as you say it must have a political motivation it must have certain other uh, factors uh, coming in but the essence of terrorism is the intentional targeting of civilians so political assassinations is, are not acts of terrorism necessarily they are not acts of terrorism yeah almost no act of targeted killing of a political or security functionary falls in the uh, category of terrorism it is essentially random at some randomized it must be of un uh, of non combatants right. it must be of civilians it must be of the what are termed as the innocent right. now uh, you know this this idea of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter uh, i find it fascinating that this argument could have survived for so long <laughs> in such respectable uh, environments mm. uh, even in academia this is something that is thrown out all the time mm. uh, first of all there is a contrafactual demand over here of a unique identity as mm-hmm. if a man cannot be both terrorist and freedom fighter terrorism is a method right the targeting of civilians for certain political objectives freedom is a goal I yeah. could pursue that goal. I could fight for freedom by one of many methods. Yeah. And, and one of one the of methods that I may adopt is one that a certain segment of society regards as morally reprehensible and that is terrorism. So I don't think there's so much of a problem with this whole idea of defining terrorism. And I think it's very very unfortunate that we allow this it's you know it's criminal syndrome. It is a certain category of crime. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i believe that unless we define terrorism and put it into a category very similar similar to genocide mm-hmm. that there can be no just genocide mm-hmm. so there can be no just terrorism mm-hmm. unless we do that we will not secure the kind of uh, um, consensual unity globally to fight this effectively we will carry on doing what we have been doing for the last decades uh playing mischief or creating mischief in one theater and trying to fight that mischief in other theaters let's 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 get into the mechanics of it of how it's done so are these so what is a terrorist group like is it is it like a somewhat for lack of a better word a corporatized kind of entity with a reasonably clear leadership structure hierarchy incentives how does it all work or is it all, is it all very amorphous and more network like 
And clearly, clearly there isn't one prototype. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole problem that we we can't talk about a sort of clear uh, model of terrorism. Terrorism has arisen in very, very, you know, in fact, uh, I, I progressively find it very difficult to distinguish between terrorism and insurgency. Mm-hmm. This is the, earlier on, there was a very, very easy and clear definition because uh, in the 60s and 70s, the terrorism you had mm-hmm. was of very tiny groups mm-hmm. who had almost no support in society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, they were extremely focused. There were these little cells. They would go out. They would do certain operations and would be fairly quickly uh, dismantled. Right. Uh, what is happening now is an overlap mm-hmm. of insurgency and terrorism. What is insurgency? Insurgency is essentially something that would have political violence directed against the state uh, by non-state actors, but with a large popular base. Right. Uh, If you don't have a popular base, you aren't an insurgent. But what we find today uh, is that uh, almost all insurgent groups use some measure of terrorist violence. Terrorist violence defined as targeting of non-combatant civilians, Innocence. Right. right. And uh, we also find that almost all the groups that we are fairly clear in our mind that these are terrorists, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we find these groups do have a significant popular base. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. it is the Al Qaeda, whether it is the ISIS, whether it is uh, the Lashkar e Taiba, depending on where and which part sure. of the world you are operating in, sure. the terrorist groups do have. Uh, a certain measure of popular support. So while I am on the one hand saying it is not so difficult to define the terrorist act, yeah, it is becoming more and more difficult to define uh, or identify ca- the terrorist group. To define a terrorist group, yeah. because today we have they they are now beginning to use other terms, gray area phenomena, you know, <laughs> or 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 uh, right. you know, uh, hybrid uh, uh, violence. Right. These right. are these are multiple streams of violence being united into a single uh, kind of movement. But by and large, would these have hierarchical structures? Would there be a reasonably uh, identifiable leadership structure? Always. Or? In always. major terrorist movements. Mm-hmm. In major terrorist movements, there would always be some kind of a clear leadership structure, uh, uh, hierarchies that, uh, in fact, the most successful a group Mm-hmm. the more hierarchical it becomes because it becomes larger and larger and you see more and more the military formations being imitated right. within terrorist organizations. Right. And then you also have a progressive movement towards conventional violence, mm-hmm. uh, 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 positional warfare. Positional warfare. If I, if oh. I actually hold territory. Oh. Hmm. If I hold territory. For instance, the, uh, the, the, the uh, LTT in uh, uh, Sri Lanka. Right. They right. actually maintained a full-fledged army. Right. They continued to engage in terrorist acts as in randomized killings and uh, bombings and stuff like that. But they also maintained a uh, regular army. They established a forward defense line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they maintained their territories. They administered their territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, are, uh, we saw a similar attempt by the Islamic State, which has been rather short-lived. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there again a group that had uh, secured a significant success in terms of terrorism, tried to make a transition to uh, conventional warfare. So how does it all begin? And, and you know, one is talking about it organizationally. So in, in the very, 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 very early days of LTTE or the very, very early days of 
ISIS and you know I know it's kind of transformed itself several times does it, it does it get started by a charismatic leader and people kind of round up about him somebody emerges and clearly again we understand they cannot be prototypes to these kind of things but are there generalities we can draw draw from this you see almost always we have situations where uh, there would be an acute perceived grievance obviously but you can have acute perceived grievances galore without having terrorism for decades right uh, there are certain other so factors that it's not a sufficient must, condition it, it could be maybe yes, a necessary the, condition there there it is not even a necessary condition as oh, such is that so? hmm. uh, well per- perceived grievance would be a necessary condition sure uh, there has to be a perceived grievance it may not be an actual a real uh, uh, objective real, uh, yeah. or real grievance but it is a perceived grievance it would need to be there uh, significantly what we f- find is that in modern terrorism mm-hmm. uh, as a group you you will have randomized proclivities to violence which tend to become uh, to escalate over time and ordinarily if the state responds very quickly and uh, firmly most movements would die at this stage after a few acts of randomized violence they would die what we have found is and, and you're saying that with certainty i mean because there is a certain as a fairly broad generalization that is the case right that if the state responds with necessary vigor in the preliminary stages that is the easiest stage at which a terrorist movement can be neutralized so why does it not happen is it difficult that's to precisely do? Difficult the point to identify? almost every terrorist movement that has succeeded in the past decades uh, has had either state collusion state support or state neglect as an integral part of its growth right uh, a lot of these groups are actually proxies of the state and this starts off right from you know the soviet proxies all over the world the left wing sure. violence uh, thereafter if you see the most uh, significant movements uh, of the recent past the entire afghan jihad was a western enterprise led by the americans and executed through the pakistanis that created this new uh, model of uh, jihadism that we are uh, experiencing so there is a strategic today. intent of sorts there is a strategic it. intent there is mischief in the indian case you could uh, go back to uh, the the khalistani terrorism mm-hmm. where we actually found a central government mm-hmm. trying to destabilize mm-hmm. a state government mm-hmm. by provoking radical sure. extremism of sure. the uh, sikhs sure as a result but that that sort of uh, was allowed to grow to a certain point and then became unmanageable yeah and cost more than 22000 lives at the end of uh, that yeah. movement yeah so you will always find even the uh, uh, naxalites or the maoists mm-hmm. in their second cycle in their first cycle it was actually the communist party of india marxist mm-hmm. that constantly encouraged a radical wing within it sure because it was an ideological sort of uh, commonality between the uh, uh, extreme group and the uh, centrist uh, group the Thereafter, united front which came in power absolutely they didn't know how to deal with it because the communist party was part of the government exactly then and and what do you have to say to that deeper i mean is is, is I mean, this is a very interesting point right we kind of bringing the state into this and so would 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 you would you broadly agree with that is the state almost always either tolerant aware complicit look i mean measures? ultimately mm-hmm. all terrorist organizations are like any other organizations you know you would see that infant mortality 
among commercial enterprises, like a restaurant, is about 90, 95%. Almost all die. Yeah, almost all die. And uh, the reason <laughs> for that is they don't have money. They don't have, they run out of money. They run, run out resources. of support, resources. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to have a state sponsor your activities, like Lashkari Taiba or many others, or the, the Saudi and the, and the Gulf states supporting al-Qaeda and the United States helping al-Qaeda in the beginning, mm. they wouldn't have a ch- had, had a chance. The reason they succeeded all this long is because of the flow of money. Money is the lifeblood of any organization, including the terrorist organizations. Money, weaponry. Weaponry. You see, even now, uh, today, we are speaking of the Islamic State. Where do they get their weapons from? And these are... Well, most of the weapons... These are sophisticated uh, uh, firearms and missiles. Well, and uh, the Islamic State has got uh, a very, very large pro- proportion of its most sophisticated weaponry from abandoned weapons from the Iraqi or the Syrian armies. But they're going to run out of it someday. You see, this is a point that you make which is which is crucial. Takes us to two elements which are not directly related sure. to what you're discussing right now, but since you bring us here, I think we should take it uh, directly from here. Sure. There is a complete misconception on the mm-hmm. part of these jihadi movements mm-hmm. of the nature of power. Mm-hmm. They believe cutting people's heads off empowers them. Mm-hmm. That is an illusion. Mm-hmm. Power arises out of production, it arises out of technology, right. it ar- arises out of the military-industrial complex that backs up war. Now, if you are fighting me with weapons that have come to you directly or indirectly from me, at some point of time, you're going to run out. At some point of time, I'm going to choke off the supply. Why? Because you're going to have moral scruples all of a sudden? No, because all of a sudden, I'm going to find the threat is getting too close to me. The same state is going to turn against you? Absolutely. That is what is happening. Mm. That is what will happen. Mm. That while it is good, it, it makes money, people are dying far away, mm. it doesn't bother me, I'm getting rid of my secondary weaponry, yeah. uh, you know, materials that are no longer of much use in my army because I've upgraded, I've got better weaponry. Yeah. So I'm just getting rid of this stuff. Yeah. But when, it, when the violence begins to reach my peripheries, yeah. or even worse, my core, yeah. I'll choke off the supplies. Has it has it ever worked in the past? Or is it is it something which remains to be seen in the future? This business of taking away the firearms that you in, that you No, you can't you don't take me. them away. You 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 end the supply. I mean, you you the end the flows. Or... You end the flows and then right. eventually they will run out. But most terrorist organizations have run out before the weapon supplies have run out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because some state or the other mm-hmm. or their sponsors Mm-hmm. Uh, begin to reconsider their position. Right. Uh, even in India, we had this whole phase with the Maoists, the left-wing extremists, where we were saying, these are our brothers and sisters, these right. are sure. you know, misguided children and all sure. sorts of nonsense of that nature. And then the violence sort of started uh, escalating. And at that juncture, once politicians started being killed, once uh, bureaucrats started being killed, uh, then it became a serious problem. And this is, you know, this is a very, very crucial element over here that the target of violence is critical on both sides. As long as terrorists are killing lower grades of 
civilians, civilians who are not valued, the state does not react quite as 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 uh, you know as strongly, as strongly, as it strongly or vigorously as it would once the targets imp- uh, sort of uh, start start Increasing going up the uh, uh, yeah. up the ladder in terms of the uh, status. Yeah. Yeah. And even the other side, uh, as long as you are the counterterrorism continues to target the uh, you know lower orders of the uh, insurgent or terrorist movements it makes absolutely no difference in terms of uh, the attitudes of the terrorist leaderships or their sponsors it's only when you start hitting the leaderships that you find positions changing shifting willingness to engage in uh, uh, dialogue willingness to abandon the uh, more extreme of their demands those things sort of start coming in only when you hit the elites yeah. when you hit the leadership uh, levels yeah. and hit them with a frequency that is sufficient to uh, be worrisome not only worrisome but it needs to accelerate to a level where it outpaces the replacement mm. this is very crucial Mm. in the uh, ending of any uh, uh, terrorist movement mm. as long as leaderships can be replaced because it's not a question of willingness or unwillingness to die yeah leaderships are very difficult to replace good yeah. leaderships yeah. and i'm talking from a terrorist perspective sure, sure. strategically sound leaderships uh, sure. experienced leaderships sure. these are the most difficult elements in a terrorist movement to replace so uh, the so, leaders are willing to die but will not concede any space as long as they feel the replacement rate is good enough they're getting as good leaders to replenish the losses it is only when the replenishment rate uh, uh, starts declining that the uh, organizations come into a crisis and what's what's the i mean let's go back to the organization question ajay um how are they organized is there is there some form of internal democracy well not using it any in any virtuous sense but how is the next leader identified how is how how are the how how do stuff like how do things like you that see, happen they they they're largely uh, uh militarized in their orientation mm-hmm. so these structures are authoritarian mm-hmm. but you must understand that there is a consensual element in every authoritarian form is there a default career path for people in these kinds of organizations i don't understand the question what that means is that if you have a leader at level 1 on the yes. top is is this second layer reasonably clearly known it is usually yes usually and, in an established so group so yes so in an established groups uh, you would have layers and there would be a reasonably consistent uh, uh, sort of escalation or or rise through the ranks but uh, it can well uh, even in established organizations even in government organizations even in corporations you would always have people being sidelined yeah. if at some stage they their their conduct or their performance was not uh, up to the uh, expectations of the top leadership which brings us to the interesting question of recruitment of how people are recruited into these kind of uh, organizations uh, is let this let me let me yeah, add one please. more yeah. point to that you know if you look at the terrorist groups mm-hmm. there are groups which are led by extremely charismatic leaders right and in those cases the secondary leadership may not be as well defined and sometimes if you take them away they disappear 
but uh, you know, or but they come back. The if, if the grievances are still there, all the other necessary conditions and sufficient conditions are there, then they come back in different forms in different names, like Zarqawi's group, right? Uh, or in uh, you know Al Qaeda in Arabian Peninsula, or uh, the case of Abdullah Ojalan in in PKK in Turkey. Then they come back with slightly different names. So we may not know the name of the secondary leaders, mm -hmm. but if you decapitate, it's a continuous debate within the political uh, science literature, uh, what happens when you decapitate. But Ajay made a very valid point that the leaders, true leaders, good leaders, are precious commodities for from the perspective of the terrorist groups, they cannot be replaced. You can replace a foot soldier. You can't replace a true leader. And leadership is essential to the direction of any organization, uh, whether it's a nation, a corporation, or a terrorist group. Mm. You see, decapitation, I would agree, won't work. Because you're basically talking about either removing that one charismatic leader. You're not addressing the whole, uh, let's say, the, 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 uh, what they're talking about, the jihad factory. Right. Other leaders are rising. It right. is only when the, you, you, you have a rate of attrition which exceeds the rate of replenishment of leadership. That is when you actually start destroying a group. Another very crucial thing that I think uh, comes out of what Deepak is uh, talking about is the circumstances that have uh, contributed enormously to the current wave of terrorism mm -hmm. uh, are the disorders that have been engineered in vast spaces, the collapse of governments, that has again, I would say, been engineered so, by other states. So, but it creates by a vacuum. But, and, exactly, right. it creates a vacuum, and someone or the other is going to fill it. Right. In fact, the 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 uh, uh, Al Qaeda. There is a wonderful document called the Management of Savagery. Mm. Now, the title is uh, exceedingly uh, sort of uh, provocative, mm. but in fact, it's a enormously well written and strategically sound uh, uh, work mm -hmm. where they argue that conditions of savagery need to be created. The state need uh, savagery is defined very clearly, not as savagery as we understand it in normal terms, sure. but the a state where the existing state and order has collapsed, mm -hmm. but no other order has emerged to replace it. Mm -hmm. It is in this condition of chaos or as they call it, savagery, mm -hmm. that the opportunity for the jihad to establish the correct order of Islam finds a uh, space. And consequently, the creation of this chaos, this condition of savagery, this collapsing of states is what they seek. This is what most people don't even begin to understand. What are they looking for? Why are they doing this? This is just creating chaos. They're not being able to, they're not giving us an alternative system. Well, the alternative system will come when this one is destroyed. Right. When right. it collapses. So, what is happening in Iraq and Syria today, or two years or three years ago, is seen as the principal condition and opportunity right. Right. for the establishment of the jihad right. and thereafter for the establishment of the uh, government of Islam. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you do a statistical analysis, uh, mm-hmm. which I have done, it clearly shows that the more is we, the a state becomes a failed state, mm-hmm. it just produces the environment, the lawlessness within which uh, this power vacuum that the jihadist groups and other terrorist groups are able to flourish. And 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 in a situation like this, they could also be competing groups. They could oh, be competing. Of course, they are groups. always. But you know, let's let's just take a step back and uh, throw away our, our pejorative uh, term uh, terrorism. Uh, in any collapsed state, yeah, what happens? Warlordism. Yes. Basically, warlordism yes. emerges. Yes. Because warlordism is the first stage of state formation. Yeah. or reformation yeah. in the sense that a warlord will seek to establish dominance over a particular area yeah. and then provide the most rudimentary elements of state uh, function, uh, which is security and justice. Mm-hmm. Maybe not your concept of justice or my concept of justice, but a certain order the where I am fun. sure that if I adhere Those to a certain of public set of goods laws... Are the public goods. The public goods. The public, the public, the public goods. goods. And among the public goods, the primary are secure. The yes, first exactly. is security. security. Sure. And the second is some form of justice. Yeah. When I say some form of justice, I mean that I know that if I crawl when I see the conqueror, yeah. I will not be yes. killed. I have an assurance. There is a law. There is an order. It is an oppressive order. It is a humiliating and demeaning order. But there is predictability to it. But there is a predictability to it. And that is what human beings seek. (laughs) And so what you have usually when a state collapses is warlordism. What we have in the particular case now, what is happening is this warlordism is... I do not think it is uh, characterized by an unprecedented savagery. Mm -hmm. Almost everything the Islamic State is doing has been done before. Sure. Uh, the only thing that hasn't been done before, and that is because uh, <laughs> we didn't have the technologies, is its projection with the kind of sophistication and through the uh, social the media. media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's yeah. the only thing. Otherwise, beheadings and tortures and crucifixions and burning people alive and drowning them, this is actually the narrative of history. <laughs> I right. mean, this is what history conventionally has been about. I, I do remember that one case of uh, Nadir Shah, who is said to have stood with his sword above the uh, 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 Sunehri Masjid, the golden masjid of uh, uh, Chandni Chowk in Delhi. And for three days he said, do what you like. And for three days there was rapine and slaughter. Right. And then he came out and he put his sword down. Right. And it stopped. Right. So don't tell me that what the ISIS is doing today has never been done before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Human savagery is is. It's part out. of humanity. It's that if we can is, is, control is, is, it, is, is if we control it, inevitable. Well, it is inev. It's not inevitable, mm-hmm. but it happens. And you know, if you look at the history of uh, of violence you will see that we really are living in the most peaceful time we have ever lived. For example, even my father used to tell me, a, used to ask me a question. If I would get too cynical, he would say, okay, given the fact that you don't know how you will be born, pray tell 
which time period in history would you rather be born in? Right. Well, you could become, you know, a king, or uh, you could be a queen, or you could be a slave. Yeah. You could be killed with impunity. And, you know, there, there is a, uh, an author, Steven Pinker, who, mm-hmm. of MIT, who has done studies, and it shows that in the medieval times, or the even the better angels of our nature, I believe, exactly. Is focused, yes. And uh, what it shows is that the number, the percentage of people who would die of violence was phenomenally higher than it is today. than in you know this time in history, and it has gone down. And think about it. Since the Second World War, we really have not seen two states fighting each other in order to capture. The only time, perhaps, was when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Other than that, we really have not seen the kind of violence. And most violence, by the way, is perpetrated by the state on the its own word, subjects. Yes, because the word terrorism was coined after the reign of terror in the in in French in, in the in, French after, after the, in the aftermath yes. of the French Revolution, and it was the Robespierre. state mm. headed by the, the people like Robespierre, yes, who would perpetrate this, you know, killing of thousands and thousands of people. How many people died? During uh, this, you know, Stalin's era, Mao's era, untold millions. And this terrorism by individual groups is minuscule. It's just the publicity of it that makes us all feel totally insecure. I think I'd add one thing more to that. This is not just the publicity. It is a measure of our expectations. Mm -hmm. We talk about zero tolerance of terrorism. Mm -hmm. We want a world without violence. Mm -hmm. These would be ludicrous ideas a hundred years ago. Our expectations have become that we should be living in peace. Now, this was not even an aspiration a hundred years ago. Mm. War was integral. It was due to human nature. It was the function of man. Which is not to say that it's not worth aspiring for. Right. No. Of course not. Of course it isn't. But that is precisely the point I'm trying to make. This yeah. is a measure of how much we have been transformed. Yeah. Yep. That we now think peace is a commonplace. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, why don't we have peace? Why yeah. did, you know, 10 people die there? Yeah. We've forgotten that 60 million or 80 million people died in a single world war. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, in, yeah. the, in the times of uh, Mahabharata, you know, they would have Ashyamedha, you know, Yagna. And they would let let loose a horse wherever it would go. The king would follow and conquer that land. Yeah. So those were parts. Those were part and parcel of being a king to wage war. Yeah. And if you read Voltaire, you know, Candide, this is just, this was considered so Glossian, so blasé, so... so you know, part of life. And I agree with you, Ajay. And, and that, that's uh, that's, that's mean, the point. Now, know, peace has become so much a part of yeah. our lives that we feel so violated if someone so, so many thousand miles away is killed. 
it, sure. it, it sort of unsettles us. And it's a new consciousness. It's a new it's consciousness. A new consciousness. It it's a also new the media. There's it's no, also communication. There is no it's way to have known what was happening in India, what exactly. was happening so, Something happening 5,000 miles away would not even uh, be heard of. And right. in, in fact, not just terrorism. Think about genocide. What yes. happened in Rwanda yep. might not ever be duplicated because we would get to know about it yep. long before the, the, the world did come to know about it. Yeah. What happened in Nazi Germany? What happened in Srebrenica? Yeah. In in uh, in Yugos, former Yugoslavia. Yeah. Uh, may not happen again, if large number of people that that number of people start getting killed, there is going to be a global repercussion. And just like after the Second World War, we have stopped the interstate war. Genocides may be, may be uh, wiped out. Mm -hmm. It's just terrorism, particularly by small groups of disgruntled, fanatical people, will probably never be, uh, never be wiped out or never be eradicated completely. What really would concern us mm -hmm. is that while they become smaller in number, mm -hmm. their capability of inflicting harm I higher than it, it ever. Higher than ever because, yeah. you know, 1880s was considered the the time of modern terrorism, not the Sicarii or the Zealots. Because of the dynamite. Because of the invention of the dynamite. Mm. You could kill a whole bunch of people with a few sticks of dynamite. And so what happens if they ever, you know, get hold of nuclear materials, make dirty bombs... Or, uh, you know, those kinds of capabilities. So the history of, of weaponry is almost very, very closely tied to absolutely. the way this is evolving. You see, uh, I, I'd be uh, uh, moderately optimistic about ending terrorism mm -hmm. because one of the critical elements in the emergence and sustenance of a terrorist movement mm -hmm. is an ideology that justifies the use of extreme violence for right. whatever ends defined. And I would like to suggest that we are moving progressively into a world where such an ideology would not have uh, very much leg legitimacy or consensual support among the largest mass of people. Now, this seems to be a little silly to say at this particular time because we are seeing these mass movements yeah, of jihadi ideology. But right at the peak of the jihadi ideology, you must understand, voices are now rising against this kind of Islamism, not from its uh, opponents, uh, opponents, so opponents but from, from other faiths, yeah. but from within the faiths. Yeah. And sometimes so you've got more and more Muslims now yeah. saying yeah. this is not reconcilable with our faith. And I'm sure this cycle will take some time, but I feel that there will be a delegitimization of this kind of violence over time. And uh, while we will never be able to get rid of violence, at least in the foreseeable future, uh, in, in, in human intercourse. Uh, I am sure that the legitimization of violence is in a process of progressive decline. We but, will, yeah. But, you know, the you have to, I, I agree with you to some extent, and perhaps Clockwork Orange is the answer to uh, <laughs> to to the to the ending of violence. But um, but you see, here is the problem: as the globalization is taking more and more 
momentum. Yeah. You know, imagine our social media was created in the 1990s. You know, Facebook is only about 12 years old. Twitter is about eight. Yeah. You know, so uh, this is, at the same time, there, there have been three sources of insecurity that people are feeling all over the world. Not just the Islamic violence is going to come to an end, but there are other sources of uh, possible anxiety. Mm-hmm. First one is cultural anxiety. Mm-hmm. What is happening in Europe? You know, we have seen the case of uh, uh, Norway, where Breivik yeah. uh, c- c- yeah. killed, uh, I don't know, 57 or... Uh, uh, 79, uh, if I'm 79, not wrong. Yes, uh, uh, children, mostly children of young immigrants. Young youth. Uh, yeah, youth. Uh, teenagers. And, yeah, young teenagers. People, yes. And because they feel that the culture is changing, the traditional uh, society that had been, that they grew up with, is disappearing. Demographic shift, demographic anxiety. People are worried. So are these about, are these acts of madness? What are mm, they? Well, they are. You know, they're madness. acts of anxiety. There's a psychological side to these things. Yeah, you use well, the psychological word. is not uh, lunatic. You know, <laughs> everything yeah. that is no, got sure. a psychological no, aspect sure. No, sure. is not madness. Psychopathological. No. Uh, there See, is I, a rationale, but it is a perverted rationale. Sure. Yeah. See, I have a book called Path to Collective Madness. Mm -hmm. This is about understanding genocide or even small cultish groups. Right. They were, uh, who committed suicide. You know, it just, uh, for example, uh, in San San Diego, where I live, there was a group called Heaven's Gate. Mm -hmm. Now, Heaven's Gate was was a phenomenally successful organization. They... Uh, where in the 90s, they started developing a brand new thing called uh, web page development. (laughs) And they made so much money for companies that they were able to uh, rent a 57-room mansion in the highest rent area in San Diego, which is a very expensive place to live in, and they were paying like about $25,000 a month in rent. And, you know, they all committed suicide because they believed their guru told them that there was a, there was a comet that was passing by. I think it was Hale-Bopp. And uh, uh, there was an alien ship that would, that would be uh, picking them up, and they all committed suicide. But this is not the kind of stuff you worry about. This yeah, is a very interesting but, but phenomenon. this is what the group thinking. Sure. It's not, you, you know, I That's talk about madness. That's interesting. Because, think about it, There's, it's not just they all committed suicide. When they did the autopsy, they found out that most of the young men in their 20s and 30s had had themselves surgically castrated mm. to be taken directly to the alien spaceship. Right. Think about it. Highly educated, highly How many successful. people were these? They were about 37. Right. You know, if you do a Google search sure. by sure. Heaven's Gate, you will see the sure. exact numbers. Sure. And you will... It's amazing. So the reason I'm saying... 
I use the term madness is because it's an undefinable term. It's mm. not a medical term. It's not delusion. Sure. It's not psycho, mm. you know, psychopathology or psychopathology. sociopathology or sure. something it's like that. It's something yeah. very... Uh, no, but I think more. this is very, very crucial uh, uh, where you bring it in. It also tells you, uh, you know, that number one, the irrationality of belief. Mm -hmm. You were talking about suicide bombers and yes. uh, elements like this. You see, it is the certitude of the afterlife. Mm -hmm. This life, which mm -hmm. I feel, which is tangible, which is all around me, is no longer of value. It is not real. There are two elements here. So, and, and One so is, is, of course, the certitude of the afterlife. Is the motivation entirely ideological? Define ideology. You see, this is not ideological. This is not ideological. Ideological is something where you have Look, a, a certain strategic or you, you have a worldview in which you are planning or structuring a certain action. This is blind faith. In a group, in a group ideal, group in mentality. A group ideal. Yes, it's, it's group a group mentality. And, and, and the suicide like, bomber is so assured of the afterlife, of the wonderful afterlife, there will be another element. So Invariably I, with these individuals, mm. there will be extremely low self-esteem. Right. Contempt for their lives as they are self -hatred. today. Self-hatred. Yeah. A certain quality of self-hatred. Mm. And then this lusting after, not the limited material pleasures that they can acquire on earth but, but the limitless kind of joys glory. of heaven or of yeah. salvation or of uh, you know so moksha. how are they recruited you see uh, multiple paths mm -hmm. terrorism recruits from everyone it recruits opportunistic criminals Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning you had spoken of dabbling. Can you be dabbling with terrorism? Can you terrorism? dabble in terrorism? People do dabble with terrorism. A go lot in of and people out. go in and out. Uh, people, uh, a lot of uh, criminals offer their services. So they're mercenaries. They're mercenaries. mercenaries. So they move in and they move out. They offer a service, they deliver a service and then they walk away. And they get paid for it. They get paid for it. Others also get paid for it. A lot of people may not the have the deep uh, faith that I am speaking of in some of the suicide bombers, but it's a calculus that uh, my family will be taken care of. I will be given this very large amount of money before I hand it over to my family. In regions of extreme poverty, yeah. these can be extremely strong incentives. Yeah. Then there is a third stream. A so lot are, of are young suicide orphans, bombers usually very, very poor? No, no, no. You've had people. Uh, the first suicide bomber we had in Kashmir mm. was from the uh, was a student of the London School of Economics. Right. Well, the 9/11 <laughs> bombers. 9/11 bombers. The, were they all, were all from very, very wealthy Saudi very, or Egyptian families. Well, because they had to melt into the the into the passengers on the flight. No, and, no. <laughs> you see, you 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 standing it on its head. Sure. It's as if well. Because we have to melt into the uh, uh, passengers on the flight, uh, we need rich suicide bombers. No, rich suicide bombers are there who are able to melt into the... You, you know, the, right. the, the recruitment precedes the uh, tactic. Sure, sure. These are people who not only went to, uh, onto those flights, they trained in America for several... This whole process was months and trainers. years. Yes, yes. It was months yes. and years. And the interesting thing was all their trainers said they weren't interested in uh, landing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, uh, yeah, interested in flying. They, they were only in interested flying in flying. They, 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 yeah. they needed to steer the plane into That's something. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, you, 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 then there is another stream. Again, here poverty comes in. Uh, orphans, especially orphans who've lost their parents in war. Yeah. 
so these people so this is are some kind of blowback at work in a way this yeah. is some uh, kind of blowback at work these people are these little ones are picked up and virtually brought up in isolation right completely brainwashed right. living for a single act and please understand that the first group to do this living for was a not single is, act was the, the tamil tigers was the tamil tigers was the ltte yep where they used to bring these children up in complete isolation and they were treated you know they were trained amazingly and they were all there to just simply to die that act was the culmination of their lives this is this farming this is farming of suicide bombers yes yeah. yes so you have all these streams you have a multiplicity of streams they are opportunists mm-hmm. many of the leaders of uh, these groups are not people who are very deeply ideologically committed yeah. they are master manipulators yeah they are demagogues Yeah. who will not put their own lives at risk will not put the lives of their families at risk yeah but will convince you and me that we should go and blow ourselves up yeah. and they you know one of the interesting things is that if you talk to a suicide bomber not the successful ones uh, that that's a little difficult of, the, to do. It's, it's difficult <laughs> the ones who pull back yeah except so, ahmed the dead exactly uh, <laughs> so if you talk to the unsuccessful suicide bombers you will find out that they have very limited knowledge of islam yeah their religion you know they when people most terrorists you see when, the, you yeah, know I'm, this is something that bewilders people and i'm quite yeah. astonished why it bewilders yeah, people yeah exactly uh in any force yeah how many people in the indian army or the indian police know and understand the constitution of india yeah none that's or, or very few very few what maybe about at the, the highest levels What about the Naxals? They What were about talking the Naxals? about Marx. There'll be a very Lenin. very small group right yeah. on top yeah. who have an understanding of Marxism, Maoism, some kind of uh, uh, background in uh, uh, literature, so bottom, in strategy. Yeah. But the bottom is always cannon fodder, yeah. and they are the the uh, catechism is sort of reduced for them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, what is your that thing? Uh, you know, Bharat Mata ki jai. Right. So I mean, uh, something like that. You yeah. reduce it to a slogan. Yeah. Uh, uh, exactly. Death to the capitalist. Yeah. You know, uh, death to the kafir, to the unbeliever. Yeah. yeah. So for the lower orders, uh, it is always fairly uh, crude. Uh, it is at the leadership level, and that is why you, you see one of the things about uh, what we were talking about originally about how movements come into being, the justifying ideology, and a leadership. that is convinced about an ideology that justifies violence these are two critical elements in the emergence of a terrorist organization so ajay why don't we talk about this how do you bring things like this to an end how do you bring them to the table force i'm very sorry to say this yeah but but force is not the way to bring them to the table you you eliminate it is. them you'll be surprised to the table no terrorist formation or insurgent formation you can sure. take the both of them together has ever come to the table when it is on the ascendant mm you see there is this whole whole dichotomy that so people false dichotomy f- that people create mm-hmm. between the use of force and politics i mean you had that clause and, and politics right you had the clause which in uh, dictum that war is politics by other means right politics is war by other means right by the same reflection yes so you must understand this is a continuum i will come to the table when my calculus of success has been mod- uh, modified right if i think i will prevail through violence there is no reason why i should abandon violence mm-hmm. 
And what is meant by prevail, this is also a changing situation. Mm -hmm. To prevail is not merely to secure your final end. To prevail is also to secure your intermediate ends of survival. Yes. You see, for a terrorist organization, survival is itself... That can be an end, a major, end in itself. Uh, an end in itself. Yeah. So if I feel I can survive, if I feel I can outlast you, yeah. if I have an adversary like the Americans who announced that we will leave Afghanistan in two years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will never come to the negotiating table. Yeah. Not unless I am in a situation where I feel my survival is under threat. Yeah. There is no way I can get even my intermediate goals if you can leave on my end years, goal. Okay. That's when I come to the negotiating table. Yeah. We are not saying that use of force is the end in itself, that, that it will produce all that we require. We have to kill every last terrorist out there. We don't. But we have to convince the terrorist that he is going to get nothing out of what he is doing. Because if he feels he can get something out of what he is doing... But conversely, even, yes. the, even the oppressed side or even the other side has to feel that it's not going to get there. Otherwise, they would not go to the negotiating table either. If you know what I mean. You see, so there has to be a stalemate of sorts. There has to be not really a stalemate. That stalemate is one of the conditions in which uh, 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 negotiations occur. Mm -hmm. It's called a hurting stalemate, where mm -hmm. both sides feel they have nothing to gain. Mm -hmm. So they talk. Mm -hmm. Or when Has one it side, worked in the past? Yes, of course, the hurting stalemate. I mean, the Irish uh, negotiation the Irish, was yes. uh, yeah. very clearly a hurting stalemate. Mm -hmm. But there have been other cases where, uh, take the Miso example within India. Right. Uh, where the uh, uh, rebels were so badly hurt right. and the population was so badly hurt that they came to the negotiating table. And right. then the state was generous yeah. and it allowed the entire rebel leadership to come and take power as chief minister and stand for elections and, sure. you know, things sure. like that. Uh, so there are a range of such things. Mm. But the, you, you must not think that the use of force is always counterproductive. This is this is a myth of uh, you know liberal uh, uh, thought today right. that uh, you know by by using force you will always compound grievances therefore you should never use force if you never use force then the side that uses force will prevail mm -hmm. that's fundamental yeah but if you make force such unjust force oh absolutely that that if you it, you, must you know, in, it must exactly. be condigned. It must be narrowly targeted force. Yeah. So narrowly. that force does not have the character of terror. It, it, it Absolutely. Would, it would not be you random. See, you cannot, you cannot, it cannot be ran random. It must be narrowly targeted. You cannot have state terror against non-anti-state So they're terror. more like intelligence operations or something. Absolutely. Terror. They have yeah. to be narrowly uh, targeted operations. And if you have indiscriminate violence, you will... N no movement of terrorism has ever been defeated by the state using indifferent viol uh, indiscriminate violence. Right. Right. It is only when the state uses extremely discriminating violence, intelligence-based operations targeting the perpetrators, that you will oddly enough find even the sympathetic populations, uh, the, the populations who are sympathetic to the insurgent or the terrorist, beginning to say, well, he was the doing right. what he was doing, so that is why he was killed. Right. So right. uh, I believe that that was one of the reasons mm -hmm. why is you know Palestinian uh, uh, trouble never really ended because mm -hmm. Israel engaged in communal or community punishment. Mm. Everybody, you know, everybody suffered. Houses mm. will be demolished. Their mm. families would suffer. Their friends would suffer. Their neighborhoods would suffer. 
And that would compound the resentment and the supply of people who would want to risk their lives because they don't feel any any hope at all. Yeah. And of course, you know, they also got a lot of help from other countries and other parts. But, sure. but nevertheless, the idea that you can be, you know, what Trump was saying, that will target their families. And we all want to believe that our force will be the last word on that. The terrorists <laughs> believe that the same thing. Like that. That's not it. You see, but if you what, are narrowly yeah. focused, if you can cut off the money supply yeah. and weapons supply, you, you see, one of the things sense. that you are uh, basically saying is that at the end of the day, we are talking about legitimacy. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is only when the legitimacy of one side is established over the other mm. that you really have the impetus for a uh, resolution of a problem. Mm. Now, if the state is as bad as the uh, rebel yeah. or the terrorist, yeah. uh, even if the state prevails... Then that, that's a vicious circle. It's a vicious circle. Yeah. And it will not be... You, you see, there is an ends-means continuum. Yes, a state that establishes its dominance through the use of indiscriminate violence is a state that will never have that kind of legitimacy. We, we come to the old classical doctrine of uh, democracy, you know, the, 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 that uh, uh, force as coercive force and yeah. authority as consensual yeah. or charismatic yeah, force. Positive freedom and negative freedom. Exactly. Of that sort. So yeah. the, the uh, state's legitimacy arises mm. out of its consensual use of authority. Mm. Mm. Its use of authority in manners or ways that are acceptable and accepted by people. The degree to which this is diluted, consensual authority is diluted, is the degree to which the st- state starts using coercive force. And if consensual authority is completely uh, 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 withdrawn from the state, the state tends to start becoming more and more indiscriminate in its use, of course. Terrific. Why don't we spend the last two, three, four minutes talking about the future? What's the future of terrorism in the in the somewhat narrow sense in which we've been discussing it, not in the super broad sense of violence in general? Um 2100 AD, 2200 AD, 2050 AD, will terrorism exist in the manners in which we understand it today? You see, uh, is going to, is it, it going to be exists, better or worse? Uh, if it exists 50 years from now, uh, we will not exist thereafter. Yeah. Because the means have become so devastating. Yeah. And eventually, nuclear and bi- biological weapons are going to leak into the hands of terrorists. Somebody is going to get their hands on them. Yes. So either terrorism will be abandoned, will be rejected as an ideological option, as a as a. But as what a does the analyst option. in you say? Ajay? I feel we are... You, you see, I, I believe that all these movements, first of all, are on the wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are battles over ideologies that have no utility in the modern world. They are battles within completely, uh, uh, you know, uh, ossified structures. Right. And these are actually battles of reform. Right. Uh, though they don't seem to be. This is That's the, the, This is, in yeah. a sense, a counter-revolution against people who are seeking to change Islam positively. Mm. 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 So there is always a, a, a effort of the orthodoxy 
to violently uh, reassert itself. So I feel that Islam in particular But is you know, undergoing... I mean, one mustn't equate Islam with terror. I'm talking about the sure. principal thrust of terrorism at this juncture, sure. which globally seems to be Islamism, jihad. Sure. But what applies here applies to the others also. If we look at the left-wing terrorists. Mm. Now, left-wing ideologies as applied by the Maoists or others are trapped in a ideological framework of the emerging capitalist labor economy of the late 19th, 20th century. Today, our problems are completely different. We are not talking about... Uh, so you're saying they'll be out of sync? They, they are out of sync. They are out of sync. They are out of sync. The only thing is that they don't accept or realize it. Yeah, and it's unclear what even the victory would be for. Yes. Yeah. However, there are going to be very, very severe problems. How they articulate themselves, I think Deepak was talking about all our anxieties. And I think you were interrupted, but I think you would certainly have come to the resource anxi mm -hmm. uh, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. That, that uh, the populations we have today, apart from the demographic, uh, uh, yeah, the irregular de yeah, demographic transformations that are going on, simple resources... This consumer economy and, and the sad thing is that there is no real and serious and profound thinking on our eco economics today. We are just uh, I, I, consuming, I, uh, consuming <laughs> and consume. You know, there was this wonderful uh, uh, statement by Ruskin. Uh, he, he said, we have destroyed ourselves for trinkets. Right. <laughs> but you know, also, and that's, what's that's the future? That's beautiful. Yeah. What's the future? Well, Deepak? you know, it's uh, there is a saying mm. that it's extremely difficult to forecast, mm. especially the future. <laughs> and uh, you know, so with that caveat, yeah. I would say that stick uh, your neck out. I will stick my neck out. That yes, our we have to defeat this kind of mentality, but. There is a, and and for our future, because uh, in fifty years or is there something years, within that kind of mentality that defeats itself? Well, it does. Or, or it you needs know, but affirmative it, it, action. Look, but at the same time, the economic anxiety is very real. You know, because what is happening is that we are labor saving, as Karl Marx Absolutely, talked yes. about. Every single automation is killing jobs right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, we are talking about driverless cars yeah. and driverless trucks. How many truckers would be out of job? Yeah. How many people can we absorb in high-tech computer and education? Okay, so what are we going so to you do? You know, I'll just, I'll just interrupt to... you momentarily sure. over here. Uh, you put this on Karl Marx, and Karl Marx actually summarized this beautifully. He said, the more useful things we have, the more useful, useless people we will have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keynes, on the other end of the ideological spectrum, raised the same issue. He said the all modernization is going to be labor-saving. The challenge of future economies is going to be what to do with people. Exactly. Because people are no longer critical to production. But yeah. Clearly, there are better things to do than become See, a terrorist. They're, they're, well, you know, that's the point. Yeah. We are not creating environments. So the, Look at the Scandinavian model. You know, yeah. you take the Scandinavian model. Yeah. In fact, astonishingly, 
the american enterprise institution yeah. which is the uh, you know what the mecca of uh, <laughs> capitalism yeah. capitalist conservatism uh, recently brought out a paper uh, arguing for a minimum guaranteed income for every mm-hmm. american yeah at the end of the day just because i own a certain corporation i mean gdp per capita when But everybody you know, is jobless you, you know is, what, is the one is. point i'd like to make today in terms of wealth and technology we have all the power to resolve our problems the problem is that we don't have the ideological and political and social structures yeah in okay. which we can resolve these problems without this opposition between classes because it's still stuck in the old class but, but see, uh, mode here is the thing yes. that famines are not caused Absolutely. because there shortage. is a lack of shortage of, of food. food it's, it's the, a distribution problem it's the distribution problem yeah. now what happens when we create a large number of people who are without a job and even if you give them guaranteed income You know, well, you what about your psychology? Yes. You no, know, you when see, I the psychology, you on the street... The psychology of uh, this is addressed mm-hmm. if, for instance, I'm a musician. I have no shame in it. Yeah. <laughs> I may not be producing... Uh, uh, I mean, you, know, you would trinkets. have shame if you heard my singing. <laughs> But then you don't have to be a musician. <laughs> you could have been an artist or you could be uh, someone who stands on his head all day long. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could be one of many things. The idea that the lack of... a uh, productive output yeah. diminishes a human being is the problematic yeah. we are not creating these uh, y- you could say philosophical philosophical basis uh, basis for reimagining ourselves exactly we have enough resource right we have enough wealth we right. have the technologies to address almost all our problems today or most of them right right so tell me i think yeah. that's a good note to end this on exactly Thanks uh, to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.